0: Well, it it is good to worship with you this morning, brothers and sisters, and we continue our fresh start in an eight-week series covering Matthew 1 through 4, which we are calling the Gospel of Fulfillment. Uh, Last week, we saw how the very name and genealogy of Jesus has significant impact on fulfillment of promises of old, the faithfulness of God, and even the life that we lead today. Now, this morning, we consider the virgin birth. The birth itself isn't all that remarkable in the biblical account, but what we're really talking about is the conception, the conception of a baby, the son of Abraham, the son of David that is to be born. And the main idea this morning is simply this. God is supernatural. Now, we live in a time just like every other time in human history where beliefs and positions on the idea of the supernatural, they're varied. However, it is difficult for even the most ardent skeptics to deny the likelihood of some kind of manifestation or event being attributed to some kind of force or supernatural being. Something beyond science, beyond the laws of nature. Uh, the prominent atheist, my favorite atheist, Sam Harris, uh, while denouncing the idea of God and the supernatural, he's spent years studying gurus in India, going on meditation retreats, and has used mind-expanding drugs to, quote, feel boundlessly at one with the universe. See, even Sam would admit, there are things in this world, there are things in our life, That cannot be empirically measured and proven. And so it is with God. He is both for science and beyond it. Now, we live in a world of order and natural law, yet we have the consistent witness of the divine. God dipping his hand into this world and the supernatural, unexplainable things taking place and circumstance and mind and body and soul. Now, if you perhaps have come to the conclusion that things are less spiritual nowadays, fewer people are believing in the idea of the supernatural. If you think that, you'd be wrong. Despite the increase of those identifying as none, no religion, you may be surprised by the empirical data. So here's a statement from one study completed this last fall. I do not believe there is a supernatural being involved in my life. Who said that? Well, in this study, those born between 1946 and 1964, the boomer generation, 19% of them said there is no such thing as the supernatural. However, those born between 1997 and 2013, Gen Z, Only 10% made that same statement. Nearly two times as many older people denied the idea of the supernatural in their life than the younger generation coming up. That might be surprising to you. But the idea of being open to the supernatural is not the same as being a faithful follower of Christ. But there is an increased, uh, I think there's something out there in our society. There is a significant uptick in younger generations wanting something bigger than themselves. In a world of iPhones and IG accounts, it's clear there's an inherent desire to understand the supernatural among young and old alike. And I think the argument can be made that this is one of the reasons why Matthew records this supernatural account in Matthew to 25 Questions like, does God work in the world? Now, like the little neighbor boy in the animated movie Incredibles, when we're asked what we're waiting for, we respond, well, something amazing, I guess. And it was the same with Israel. 400 years of silence, waiting for the amazing to happen, waiting for God to come. Well, read with me, please, in our passage, starting in Matthew one eighteen. Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Well, this is God's word. First in our passage, I I want us to see a supernatural conception. Now, obviously, this is directly from verse 18. Commentators point out that our passage is from the perspective of Joseph, which makes sense. Joseph is the adopting father. Joseph is from the line of David that connects Jesus to those promises of a future king. It's also pointed out that Jesus is from the line of David, but he doesn't have an earthly, physical father. He's not from the flesh of Joseph or David, which actually is probably a good thing when you think of it. The human line of David, the the flesh, the, the humanness of them, all throughout Israel's history could never save them. God's people needed something different. So when Jesus is born, he has a kingly lineage, but he doesn't have the same kingly flesh. But I want to get right to the point in the struggle of verse 18. The text reads and plainly says that Jesus is conceived in Mary not by natural, normal means when a man and a woman sleep together. The science of natural reproduction is not what happened. We are given no explanation other than, as we read, she is found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. God moved in such a way that there was a conceived and growing child inside Mary, apart from the natural means that we find today and have seen throughout human history. Now, we have to admit, if true, and the scriptures teach that it is, if true, this is an astonishing moment in human history. A baby, given by God, a miracle, a movement by God, a supernatural event, that has never been seen before. So if you're a man, a woman, a child, you're reading this, the very natural question comes, how in the world is this possible? Like literally, how can you scientifically explain this? If there's no fusion of like egg and sperm cells, if husband and wife are not doing married things, how does this happen? Is this real? Well, many skeptics of Christianity, Christianity, and and honestly, those who aren't just skeptics, but those who struggle with the supernatural, they mock and struggle over the concept of the virgin birth and conception. And I'll be honest, it's a difficult thing to defend if you're into defending such things on a merely rational, empirical, and scientific basis. I'll confess my own limitations. It's one of those things we don't argue for well, we don't argue for well, because the scriptures don't give us much by way of defense. It's just simply stated as a fact. Mary was a virgin, God the Spirit put a baby in her. Now if you are here and you're considering Christianity, or you are that skeptic, or you're a faithful follower of Christ and you have no idea what to do with passages like this, well, welcome to the club. Believing in the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture, we have to go back to that underlying question that we considered. Do I believe in the supernatural? Do I believe God can and will dip his hand into human history and change things? Do I believe in the miracle of God acting and saving DeMar Hamlin in a Monday night football game? as he has cardiac arrest and CPR brings him back to life? Do I believe that God supernaturally answers prayer? Do I believe God can supernaturally save my marriage when I've tried everything else? Can God put it in the heart of someone else to be generous and supernaturally provide for me when I have an unspoken need? Can God bring people today back from the brink of death Can God bring me back from depression, from the failing of my own heart, from the pitfalls my children or loved ones fall into? Can God do it? That's the question. If you answer yes to that question, then the supernatural of the Scripture, the moments of God doing the miraculous get put in a different perspective. God is the one who splits the Red Sea, and He's also the one who puts up a wall of protection as I and my family drive on icy roads. God is the one who raises Lazarus from the dead, and the one who raises my dead heart. God is the one who walks on water, and He's also the one who pulls me up out of the choppy waves of this sea of life when they're over my head. God is the one, by the Spirit, who gives Mary a baby. And many here, he's supernaturally given children to, when perhaps you thought it was impossible. Now, I'm not aware of any virgin conceptions and births in our midst. Let me know. But every life is a miracle and a gift from God. And a miracle, it necessitates the supernatural, doesn't it? A miracle is defined as a highly improbable or extraordinary event, not explicable by natural or scientific laws. Now, does God always work a miracle? Does He always provide the exception? Well, no, we know that not the case. But sometimes, the supernatural work of God is found in the seemingly small and mundane of our natural world. These verses in our passage should recalibrate our mind and our hearts to be a supernatural kind of people. Perhaps you and I need to expand what a miracle is. We need to consider God's supernatural work in multiple ways. So, did you wake up this morning... Breathing, believing, and trying to pursue God? Supernatural. Have you seen someone's life, your own life, changed by faith in Jesus Christ? That's supernatural. Have you seen God provide for you physically and financially? Are you still, are you still here this morning? Are you still clinging to faith? After a dark season of circumstance, suffering, or sin. Are you? That's supernatural. Yes, the virgin conception of Jesus is amazing. God works in mighty and unexpected ways. God does the unthinkable and the unbelievable. He does things that science can't explain. And I wonder, what would he even do this week? What would he supernaturally do in our lives? Well, I can't wait to find out. But in our passage, we don't see just a supernatural conception, but a supernatural visit. We read this in verses 20 through 23. And these verses, I think, are quite remarkable in their own right. Joseph is about to divorce Mary, and we'll hit on that more in a moment. And an angel appears to him and tells him to hold up. Don't be afraid to take Mary. She hasn't been unfaithful as the evidence may suggest. This isn't some kind of interruption to your life, Joseph. This is God's divine design. She's conceived a child, he's told, by the Holy Spirit. The unbelievable has happened in an unexpected way. Now, having an angel come and shed light on a crazy situation is certainly a supernatural event. But I want to focus our attention on a couple specific words of the angel and then on the commentary that Matthew provides after. So Joseph is told in the midst of this supernatural visit that he's going to name the child Jesus. And as we briefly discussed last week, Jesus comes from the Hebrew name Yeshua, a name closely connected to Joshua, a name that means the Lord God saves. Just as Joshua saved and delivered the people of Israel as they entered into the promised land, Jesus, by his very name, is promised to lead, promised to deliver his people to a better land. He's the better Joshua. But look again, notice the words at the end of verse 21 again. For he will save his people from their sins. An angel coming to give the scoop isn't the only supernatural thing going on here. Jesus will deliver his people in a fuller way than Joshua did. Now, Joshua conquered in some battles and moved geographically to a 218 area code, the Holy Land. That does mean, yes, Minnesota is the Holy Land. And what we're told here is that Jesus Conquering and delivering, it goes much deeper than armies and the address in which you lay your head down at night. Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. The Christian message is one that consistently says that my greatest problem, our greatest problem individually and collectively, is inside ourselves. We may have an array of concerns circumstances, bad influences, and all the rest. But our greatest problem is our own heart, a heart that is conditioned by sin and rebellion, self-sufficiency, and at least personally, a natural distaste of being a faithful follower of Christ. My friends, Jesus didn't come primarily to save your relationships or to save your bank account or to save your standing among your friends and community, or to save your health. Now, don't get it twisted. Jesus can and does work in every area of life. But the very purpose of his conception, his birth, and the name that he was given was that he would save us from a fractured relationship with God because of our sin. Jesus was sent to usher in new covenant realities to you in Christ. God dwelling with us. Those people being given new hearts and His Spirit being put in them. So as God said of old, that we shall be His people and He shall be our God. But verse 21, I'll admit, it can rub us a little raw. We don't like the idea of needing to be saved and we certainly don't like the idea of needing to be saved from our sin. That's gross, archaic language in our minds. I've sinned. I've turned my back on God. I need forgiveness. Well, Jesus says yes. He came to save our hearts and heal them by bringing us back to God. I can't think of anything more supernatural than that. God working in such a way where he moves and he works to save, forgive, and restore my greatest problem. My separation from God. But quickly for a moment, I want us to look at Matthew's commentary to the angel's interaction in verse 22 and 23. Now, we're informed that all of this took place. The conception, the birth, the angel explaining things, the Joseph, the naming of Jesus, it all took place to fulfill the scriptures. Now, remember, our tax collector friend Matthew has fulfillment on the brain. So he points to an Old Testament passage that's known very well by many of us in Isaiah 7.14. Now, you've heard this verse. You've heard this verse in a Christmas season. You've seen it sewn on pillows. You've seen it in Christmas greeting cards that you receive at the end of every year. But how familiar are we with the context of this original promise to Isaiah? Isaiah. Roughly 750 years before Jesus came on the scene, we have Isaiah. And Isaiah is talking to this king, this guy named Ahaz. Ahaz was the king of Judah. And he caught wind that there was a couple of superpowers setting up war against him. And their hearts sank. They were outgunned. They were outnumbered. But Isaiah says to Ahaz, it's okay, I got you. God's got you. Don't worry. He's going to protect you. He won't allow those armies to overtake Judah. It's okay. All Ahaz you have to do, all you have to do is ask for a sign and God will give it to you as a guarantee that his promises are true. Well, Ahaz wasn't interested in a sign. Here's how one man described Ahaz's posture. Quote, I want no dealings with God. No gifts. No signs. I will care for my own destiny. Well, that's a shocking statement from the king of Judah. So Isaiah says, <laughs> Oh, Ahaz, the Lord's going to give you a sign whether you want one or not. And here's the sign A virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. So Ahaz, not wanting anything to do with God, he was planning to rely on the military power of Assyria. They would help in the short term, but in the long term, they would actually overtake Judah. Ahaz relied on a superpower, allegiance, rather than the God of the universe. So here's the moral of the story as one writer sums it up. The original Emmanuel prophecy meant that god offers to be present to bless but if we refuse his blessing he is still present but to judge the original Emmanuel prophecy of isaiah bears a radical message god is always present always with us either to bless or to curse so now Hundreds of years, moving fast forward into our passage, according to our writer Matthew, the blessing side of the Emmanuel prophecy has come. In the first Emmanuel, God offered to be with Ahaz in a sign. Now, Jesus will be God with us in person. We have something better than a supernatural visit from an angel or even a supernatural sign like Ahaz got. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, has come to dwell with us. God has fulfilled his promise in the signs of old. He blesses those who rejoice and accept this Emmanuel promise. And he leaves us to the consequence or the judgment for those who reject him, just as Ahaz did. May God enable our hearts to believe and press into God with us this week. May we see the fulfillment of Isaiah 7.14 as the reminder that God has come. And this week, you know, tomorrow's Monday, right? So I wake up on a Monday morning and I have to come to this question. If God has come, will I follow? Will I press into the blessing of God coming or will I dismiss it as Ahaz did? Well, may the Lord help us. But lastly, I want us to see in our passage a supernatural character. Now, there's a couple things i point out here, specifically about the character of our man Joseph. Look again at verse 19. In verse 19, he's described as a just man, unwilling to put Mary to shame. And he's resolved to do this divorce thing quietly to protect her. Now, you might read over that quickly and just think that Joseph is a good guy doing the honorable thing. However, that is not a Christian reading of this passage. And I think this is a good spot to remind us that the Christian worldview should inform everything we do. Everything. When I stay current with the news, when I nurture, I mean, torture my children, when I show up to work on Monday, but especially when I read my Bible. Am I thinking and believing like a Christian? It's an all-encompassing question. So I want us to frame, in part, our minds on Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 4. He says this, What do you have that you have not received? Everything is from God. If you have some measure of spirituality if you have insight on the culture, if you are faithfully following Christ, if you do the honorable and just thing by protecting a woman like Joseph, is that not something that God has created in you? This kind of conversation starts getting us into the weeds of the relationship between God's work and our responsibility. Yes, Joseph woke up that day and chose to do the right thing, but his will was affected by the gracious God who had shaped his heart. Even what we call common grace with those who don't follow Christ is the enabling reality that we have what we have, we are what we are, and we make God-honoring decisions by the grace, kindness and the supernatural work of God in our lives. The supernatural of Joseph, I I think it continues in his character in our concluding verses, 24 and 25. Joseph's heart had been so affected by God that when God spoke, he listened and acted. Now, you can't argue that's a miracle that Joseph woke up and did the very risky thing. He believed God's message from an angel. He took a pregnant woman to be his wife, and he named the kid Jesus because he believed that this child would be God with us and take away sin. Now, I I say that's all a miracle for a couple of reasons. It seems to me it'd be a very natural thing to wake up from a dream like that and dismiss it. Joseph wakes up and he says, well, that was a crazy dream. That Taco Bell I ate last night must have just really messed with me. It would have been easy to dismiss. It would have been easy to chalk up as some weird thing that went through his mind. It would have been easy to say, well, it was an angel. It was a message from God, but I'm going to ignore it. Or say, well, I'm not going to ignore that it came from God. I'm just not going to do it. And I think that's the trap we fall into. We take in biblical truths and biblical information, but we don't live them. We'll do Bible studies and devotional readings. We'll create programs and small groups to learn what God says, but we don't act. So it's easy to come across passages like Acts 2.44, or like, oh, the church had all things in common. They lived in community in Christ. Well, how easy is it to live that? Joseph lived it. He woke up, he heard, he obeyed because of God's grace in his life. Brothers and sisters, can we say the same thing of ourselves? Do we recognize that any Christ-likeness in us is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit? And by the Spirit, are we willing to press in and obey God and His Word even when it's hard? That's the real crux of, of our core value of being shaped by biblical living. Am I willing to hear and follow God's words when the rubber meets the road? When the outcome might bring consequences from others? When the outside world may not understand? (laughs) Wait, Joseph, what do you mean you're taking on a pregnant woman? What do you mean she didn't cheat on you? That's crazy. No, Joseph followed. And I would remind us, and it seems silly to even say, we're faithful followers of Christ, not ourselves, not your favorite talking head. Faithful followers of Christ. We follow Him, His example, His words, His commands on our life, because we're convinced that it not only honors the King, the God of this universe, but it's for His glory and for our good. So, my friends, God is supernatural. He moves and works in our world, in our lives, in wondrous, mysterious, and powerful ways. May he give us eyes to see how he's at work in the exceptional and the mundane this week. May he give us faith to follow and trust when we can't see or we don't understand. And many of us may have circumstances like that right now. May God prove himself faithful to miraculously change our hearts and those we love and care for. Well, uh, in conclusion, I'd I'd like to read uh, a prayer to you. It's uh, from Daniel Doriani. He's my friend. He just doesn't know it. And uh, I want to read this last section uh, as a prayer. So hear this prayer with me, please. May the Spirit work in us to receive what God began to accomplish in the birth of Jesus. May we also submit our plans and our emotions to him, as Joseph did. May we give our hearts and minds to him, as Mary and Joseph did. May we know that God is with us to bless us in every season of life, in every distress Let us turn to God for comfort. In joy and in blessing, let us not ascribe it to good fortune or hard work, but to Emmanuel, who is present to bless. God is with us in the person of Jesus. May we have the faith, trust, love, and obedience to receive the blessings of Emmanuel. Pray with me. Father, That is what we ask this morning. Unashamedly, boldly, we come to you and we say, prove it. Show me. Show us, God, that you are still faithful to your Emmanuel prophecy. To this promise that God is with us now and here because of Christ. Show us that you're real and powerful, that you're near and working. Show us that the supernatural still happens among us. And in our hearts and lives, show us, Father, and help us to live as faithful followers. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.